0: Are you in the dark about distributions, capital calls and co-investments? We shine a light on all things LP to discuss the benefits of expanding the fund financing toolbox, the strength of the IPO market and its effect on the exit environment, and private equity highlights going into 2021, to discover that the future might just be bright. Hello, listener, and welcome. We're recording from home today to delve into LP Appetite. We're talking all things institutional investor, from opinions on distributions and the exit market to co-investments and fund financing facilities. We've got an interview with special guest Elias Karosis of Hermes GPE. To help me with this, I have my esteemed colleague Greg Gilles, Unquotes Editor. Hi Greg, thanks for being with us.
1: Hi Kat, pleasure to be there.
0: So last episode, we here unquote heard from Rutland Partners speaking on the new opportunities that have arisen from the coronavirus, as well as partnerships with lenders and management teams. GPs have been scrambling to manage portfolios, but with exit volumes dropping dramatically across Europe, we thought we'd check in with an LP. But first, I wanted to speak to Greg. Greg, can you give us an idea of how LPs reacted to the coronavirus crisis? Has there been much activity?
1: Absolutely. So very much the same as the rest of the industry, um, LPs were taken aback. I mean, some of them had the benefit of, uh, through their global exposure, having had a look at what was going on in Asia before uh, before it hit Europe and uh, and certainly the U.S., Um, But nevertheless, I I think no one was quite prepared for that, which means that in the early stages, the the feedback that we got from people from across the spectrum, from GPs on the fundraising trail to placement agents to uh, LPs themselves, Was very much uh, a wait and see approach. There were quite a few fundraisings in the pipeline, and and provided they were at an advanced stage, I think people were quite happy to just proceed remotely, uh, especially if there's a a big name brand and an existing relationship. That the initial, um, I think, the initial worry and the initial um, stumbling block was really for first time funds or. Even if uh, funds are known when they are very early in their stages and um, dealing with new investors, it's just a matter of bandwidth. Um, and and a lot of um, a lot of GPs obviously push back their fundraising because of their own bandwidth and their ability to deal with um, with managing that new way of uh, interacting with investors. Um, but also LPs themselves just being you know obviously way more careful about what, what they spend their time doing and how they allocate their time. But Nevertheless, if if we look at activity, how does that come across in, in the stats, there was definitely a, a drop from, from Q2 onwards in terms of the number of, of fund closes and, and fund interim closes. So if I look at the period since March till now, basically, I think we've got about 81 uh, vehicles holding final closes, which actually there's definitely not been a complete drought. So there, there has been uh, allocation for sure. And that's the really striking point is looking at the fact that 85 billion euros um, of capital were were, um, closed in slightly over six months, I guess. That compares actually quite favourably in terms of overall commitments, which leads you to think that perhaps LPs were actually uh, proceeding as usual. It hides the fact that I think we've got about 16 funds that raised 82% of that capital, um, which in itself isn't completely of the ordinary. But if you consider the fact that four GPs, just four GPs raised about 60% of that, and these four GPs, I mean, everyone will know, but will be Ardian, CBC, uh, Nordic, and HG, uh, that just tells you how bifurcated the market became. And we've talked about this before, it's become a bit of a buzzword, but I think looking at the stats really shows that. Um, And overall, the fact that we've had 81 final closes, historically, um, I think we hover around 120 to 140 funds. There'll always be some ebb and flow in, in fundraising cycles anyway, but there is definitely a measure of it wasn't business as usual for sure.
0: Uh, that that bifurcation trend has certainly made itself clear. I was lucky enough to be at the BVCA summit last week. Most LPs talked about how they were really hunkering down on existing relationships. So that's kind of showing through the stats. I wanted to talk about another topic. Certainly it was a, a, a big issue earlier on in the coronavirus crisis. But should GPs be worried about the denominator effect now when thinking about kind of 2021 allocations?
1: I don't think so. I think people might have been worried very early on because obviously the markets took an absolute um dive um around sort of March time. Um there's been a general recovery since then. I think the feedback that we got from from almost everyone in the market uh, would be that there's little of that at play. Um I mean certainly when you look at, at the recovery uh, recently it's you know almost back to to where it was. I I don't think the the worry is there necessarily. I think something that's um uh potentially a worry especially if you look at more kind of longer term allocation strategies uh, and I believe that might be something that, that will come up later um, when when you spoke to Elias the, the sort of cash coverage and, and general allocation timings would be I would imagine for most LPs way more of an issue uh, especially if they're slightly less kind of institutionalized uh, LPs uh, maybe, maybe smaller maybe newer to the game uh, all of a sudden dealing with the fact that you might have had X amount kind of pegged for for 2020 and then maybe 2021 in the face of distribution slowing down fairly drastically although it it is picking up again that that could be something that's ultimately more of a deterrent than the than a military effect would
0: be oh that's good to have a positive answer from you Greg on that front at least and we'll be back to hear more from our editor but first an interview with Hermes GPUs Elias Kurosis Thanks very much for taking the time to be with us today.
2: Pleasure to be here. Thank you for having me.
0: I wanted to speak about uh, something that Hermes-GP is very well known for, and that's its co-investment strategy. And I wanted to ask what advice you would give to LPs looking to co-invest throughout this volatile period.
2: Well, first thing, we've always said that Co-investment is actually a professional game and should always be treated with the requisite amount of uh, due care and attention. Years ago, we were expecting that we would enter a a sharp correction at some point in the markets. We were not expecting it to be so severe in terms of the real economy as what the global pandemic has resulted in. But we were certainly expecting a rough patch. Uh, And what we were always saying to the LP community is make sure you know what you're doing if you're entering the co-investment game. So for professional, institutional investors that have a strategic commitment to direct co-investment, co-sponsorship access, that's fine. But, you know, other investors, smaller investors that were sort of starting to dabble into it and doing two, three, four deals a year, we always thought that that can be a very difficult situation if you enter a rough patch. You also have to start dealing with the operational implications of of co-investment. So this is probably a more exceptional year, uh, given the nature of the crisis. But it's nothing beyond what you know. You normally should be expecting to live through as a private equity investor. It's coming to roost. What we were saying a few years ago for for people that thought, "Oh, this is easy. I just you know co-invest, things go up, um, I get you know the exits, and uh, and I feel great about my uh, blended fee reduction." Uh, we we never we always said co-investment is a real investment exercise and should not be seen as a fee reduction exercise primarily this year is a year where this is probably uh, an awakening for for some people that thought this is an easy easy thing to do so i'm sure they'll have to get in very much more engaged with the companies than, than they were expecting uh, to be so uh, but overall um you know we have to um we certainly have managed to go through this period in a very good way and and those companies that needed to refinance Uh, we have went through these processes Um, but generally speaking it it, you know it is a hands-on year and we certainly expect any co-investment strategy to have periods where you have to be a lot more hands-on than usual
0: and I wanted to ask also uh, for your fund investments, um, so not your co-investments, but your fund investments, how have you seen distributions affected in the course of the last six months?
2: You know, we were expecting when when the crisis hit, we were actually expecting distributions to dry up almost completely for a period. Uh, and I've been pleasantly surprised that even though you know, there's been a, a market drop certainly in uh in April, sort of April-May timeframe, they have not dried up. And actually, recently, they started accelerating again, which you might expect given the markets have recovered. Clearly, there will be an impact this year compared to last year, which was a record year. for Distributions, for us, you know, even at the worst part of the year, they fell by 30% or so.
0: Well, it's good to hear a kind of a positive answer to that question, for sure. We we at unquote have certainly seen a big drop in the number of exits across Europe. Are you concerned about your distributions in the future and into next year?
2: I would say it's a function of what happens to capital markets, really. So... The markets as they are right now, the exit environment, I think, is back on. I am not at all concerned if we have the conditions prevailing at the moment. What I am concerned about would be if we have a very big shift in the market psychology and we go back into psychology that that we had in, in the March timeframe. Given that the global coordinated policy response has been to basically provide as much liquidity to the to the financial markets as as uh, as possible, and uh, and keep both the debt markets and the equity markets very healthy, I think that this might be actually a fine uh, exit period until someone can figure out where uh, they can invest their money. Private market seems to be a beneficiary of the negative real yield environment in, in the bond market. So uh, it seems to me that we'll, we'll have more inflows than, than outflows.
0: Hmm. Again, well, that's very good to hear. But um, speaking of debt, uh, certainly at the beginning of the pandemic in March, we saw an explosion in kind of preferred equity instruments and um, fund-finding ant- instruments. Have you seen a rise in the number of these instruments used by GPs?
2: So we certainly uh, if you're referring to playing the credit facilities, absolutely, I think they now have n- become ubiquitous. and to the extent that these are used for cash flow management and making life easy for OPs, I think uh, everyone's quite grateful uh, when those credit facilities are in place. Uh, where it starts getting a more, become a more heated discussion point is when The credit facility is used for very extended periods of time, like a year or beyond. It effectively becomes an IRR and cost of capital arbitrage gain. There, you're in different territory. And I think one of the biggest impacts of this adoption of, of credit facilities, and if there's Further use of these facilities for longer timeframes is that the IRR numbers become inflated. We're having due diligence sessions where people ask also for the unlevered version without the credit facility impact. There's other developments that we've also seen in terms of fund financing, which are very interesting, like the preferred equity financing of of portfolios, which is different to the, the credit line. And I think that is a very positive uh, development for the market. Basically, the more tools there are in the box so that liquidity can be managed and, you know, fund restructuring situations down the line and so on can be managed in a, in a, in a good way, uh, the better.
0: And I know there are lots of uh, advisors out there that are willing also to kind of expand that toolbox as much as possible. Um, I wanted to move on to a different topic. What, if any, concerns do LPs have about investing in private equity currently? And, And what would you say back to those concerns?
2: The more tactical concern that would have been raised this year would be similar to what happened over the global financial crisis with the cash flow profile of investing in private equity. Suddenly, you start to get a lot more drawdowns as people make investments to support their portfolio companies and, and distributions slow down or dry up and, and then suddenly that, that's a, for people that do not have a well thought through commitment planning model that, that can introduce a surprise. That said, because there is an expanded toolbox now, I think you'll get less situations where you have LPs that can't fund their position. I hope so anyway. We haven't seen any big disasters happening on that front. But clearly, when when people are thinking about their strategic asset allocation and management, a shock like this is taken into account, and they have to look at their allocations and and see how they they pan out. So going back to the very beginning, the fact that the exit markets are healthy at the moment, and so that probably will bring the year more in balance, that's going to be very good because I think a lot of people were looking at this year as a year where they would have had to deal with the big shock and the way the numbers are working out now with the exit environment picking up again it looks like the situation is not going to be as black or white as might have been seen in March and I think that's a very big development. The thing that I'm mostly concerned about is, is the real economy and what's the follow-on impact that uh, might affect some sectors of private equity more than others.
0: I think that's um, a concern for many market participants right now. In that vein, what do you expect for the European private equity market for the remainder of 2020 and into the first half of 2021?
2: There are different impacts for different parts of private equity. If I were to use my favorite analogy between the red ocean markets and the blue ocean markets, the red ocean markets where competition is very fierce and the margins might be very slim, those in the more traditional industries, let's say, where business models might have been more impacted uh, during this crisis, it doesn't look like you know this was a V-shaped recovery situation. So I think we'll still see pressure on the traditional uh, business model type. On the other hand, what we call the blue ocean markets, i.e. where you have new markets, primarily technology-enabled markets that are developing and you have still the potential to run very profitable businesses, even in and during the pandemic, and in many cases, accelerated because of the pandemic, um, we think that part of the market is going to have an acceleration both in the funding markets and in the exit markets, as we're seeing already in the IPO space with technology companies. I'm very bullish on that end of the market. I think specific part of the technology transition tends to be a shift in um, how you operate, and many times organizations have uh, a lot of inertia as to adopting new ways of operating, and in this crisis, we have seen IT leadership reacting quite quickly. you're getting these shifts that would have otherwise taken months and years to accomplish already have happened in many ways so, we're very positive on that on the on the growth side. You know, clearly there's a lot of emphasis on the software-oriented businesses, and we are expecting that to continue into uh, into 2021 and beyond. But particularly during this period where investors are looking for where what are the winning parts of the market while they're they're um, trying to protect the uh the parts of of their portfolios which are which are struggling so we do see this bifurcation, and I expect to see more of this bifurcation going forward
0: wonderful well it's always good to hear a bullish opinion a positive outlook so thank you very much for your time
2: thank you very much for for having
0: us That was Hermes GPS Head of Growth, Elias Krosis, and we're back here with Greg now. Elias's outlook for the future of the market seems pretty positive on most fronts. Are there any reasons we should be concerned for the future of the industry?
1: No, bro- broadly speaking, I don't think so. And I would certainly echo Elias from a, from a personal point of view, but I think that the various conversations that we've had all point to that same direction. Recent activity trends, for instance, uh, that deal flow has picked up quite noticeably in in, in September. Although that's not completely uh, coming through in the stats just yet, a lot of the recorded uh, deals that, that we might be covering at the moment will have been kind of negotiated over the summer, if not before the summer, so there's always a bit of a lull when when that's done. Um, but the general consensus in the market is that the pipeline is is looking fairly robust um, within, obviously within the, the context. It's not going to be a, a standout year by any stretch. Uh, but more importantly, the long term drivers are, are just just as strong, and if anything, uh, again as as Elias said, this crisis is. 100% an opportunity for the industry to push its advantage and and really shows what it does best, especially if you consider the way that it managed to navigate the, the GFC. I think there will be adjustment. I think Elias pointed uh, to that. There will definitely be an adjustment needed for, for quite a number of managers in terms of their strategy, relying on plain vanilla deals in the um, in the leisure or the retail sector, obviously that, that was out of favour for quite some time already, but that, that might precipitate that, uh, pivoting back to uh, hands-on growth in this more technology-driven space. Um, at the same time, there's already a lot of competition there. Whether or not people are able to pivot to that and, and be carved in niche there remains to be seen.
0: Good to hear, and um, I'm certainly excited to see all the ways that um, different GPs manage and adapt. One thing that we spoke about in the interview was co investment, as Hermes GP has a long history in that area. Do you expect it to continue to be an important trend in the coming year?
1: Yeah, I think so. Um, In fact, um, that's uh, quite a timely question. Our colleague Denise uh, looked into co-investment quite in depth recently and spoke to a number of people uh, in the market, quite active in that space, to try and gauge the temperature a bit and and see what was going on. There is a lot of capital to be deployed when you look at the raises by Ardian, Harbourvest, Hamilton Lane uh, in in recent months. That's several billions of of dollars just ready to hit that co-investment market. At the moment, certainly in terms of, of Financing deals um, with less leverage, GPs have to have to make do, and co-investment has a, a role to play there if we're looking at co-investment at the point of, of the original deal. But also, uh, and I think that was a trend that, that Denise looked into, which is quite interesting, the theme of midlife co-investment um, is something that could benefit from the current context. And that's, you know, anything from financing uh, further bolt-ons to uh, restructuring potentially a, a troubled asset, there's a lot of um, ways that co-investment can bring value there, bring much needed capital for businesses that are looking to, to fight their way out of, uh, of the current predicament.
0: Another trend that I'm certainly excited to see how it evolves. Well, I'm afraid that's all we have time for this week. Do look out for upcoming episodes and please take the opportunity to subscribe to the Unquote Private Equity podcast on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. Or, of course, continue listening on Unquote.com. A very big thank you to Greg today, to our special gag Elias Croesus, And as always, a big thank you to you too, listener. Speak to you soon.